Welcome back, listeners. Welcome back to another episode of the Lead Well Podcast. This is Brandon Holland, your host, BW Holland 32 on social media. And just thanks again for tuning in. Um, super excited about today's episode. Um, we have with us Coach Tracy Phillips. She is the innate coach and she speaks on visionary leadership, defining your innate zone for top leadership performance, and building an empowered company culture. Tracy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brandon. It's wonderful to be here. Thanks for being on. Thanks so much. I've really been looking forward to this. Um, and if we could, we can just kind of jump right in. Um, could you give our listeners just like a little bit of your uh, background and kind of how you got to where you are today and what you're currently up to? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually started out in education. I have my master's uh, in curriculum development and instruction. And so I did that for 15 years. I developed and ran uh, foreign language programs at the elementary school level, which, you know, taught me a lot about, first of all, making what I was doing applicable to the lives of those who I was teaching. And I think I still, you know, practiced that and learned a lot about that in in those years of you know helping young people develop you know a love for for learning um you know and, and in this case you know i i've kind of got into um coaching at various levels when i first started once my daughter was old enough to get into school i started looking at what was next and um initially i was doing holistic health coaching uh because health and and just kind of how the body works uh, has always been an interest of mine. Um, but I soon developed an understanding that there was something more uh, that I was striving for to help people develop in their lives. Um, not to say that health isn't important and ultimately, you know, essential for us. But you know, I just was called elsewhere. And uh, in 2013, I was offered an opportunity to go in and work with some uh, executive leaders who had been incarcerated in federal prison. Uh, for white collar crimes. And in my three years working under the facilitator of that program, uh, and specifically uh, working to help these men understand their communications, um, kind of the stories they were telling internally, how that was affecting their decision making, and how that ultimately was affecting the communication that they had with others, and then the outcomes that they were generating was really the focus point of what I was brought in to help to help these men understand better. And I learned so much about what it takes to lead in very high, um, you know, expectational spaces, um, you know, where people have lots of power, lots of expectation is on them as leaders, a um, lot of responsibility and how, when we are not operating from our true sense of power uh, and, and self-control, how that can go terribly wrong. Um, and, and so that became a passion of mine, you know, really helping people, you know, in, in general to understand these things before they went down those roads and got themselves in trouble. Um, but it was really that time that I also came to understand that there's so many things that we have done in our culture, um, specifically with men, you know, as a woman, as a female leader, uh, and coach, you know, a lot of people assume I work with women. I actually work more with men. I, I do have females, uh, female clients as well, but most of my clients are men. And I think partially because I did develop a, a deep understanding and, and, and like I said, a, a kind of a drive to help, you know, decondition some of these things that, you know, we have taught men to provide, protect and serve. And that's like their only role in life. Um, and coming from that place can, you know, as a leader, 
you know, a lot of times I found that they were the one person, the common denominator that was always left out. And you see this a lot with women as well, but in different ways. Um, But just, you know, based on what I learned and based on what, you know, I really felt passionate about bringing forward, that's kind of how I ended up in the space I am today. Okay. So who, who are uh, most of your, most of your clients now? Are they um, people who need that visionary leadership? Are they um, folks sort of on their way up into leadership positions or what, what's your client base mostly now? So my clients are all visionaries. Um, I, I've been working with visionaries for a number of years. Uh, these are a particular breed of individuals. Um, I call them my racehorses and rock stars. Um, visionaries, you know, tend to be those individuals who, you know, they focus from the 40,000 foot view, right? So very wide angled view of things. Uh, they tend to be focused into the future. Um, and there's inherent um, skills that they have in being visionary and also inherent challenges. And so I really work with these leaders. Uh, most of them are C-suites. So if we're talking from the corporate standpoint, uh, when we're talking more entrepreneurial, these are the leaders of companies um, where they are finding, you know, it's really helping them understand, first of all, what their strengths and weaknesses are, how to constitute what's called their lane, right, of brilliance, okay. because we all do best in our lane, whether we're visionary or not. And if we don't know what that is, it's very easy, especially visionaries, because we we all have, I'm visionary as well, so I understand very well the the pitfalls and and you know challenges and and assets to being the way we are but we very easily get caught up in what i call the shiny squirrel syndrome right where everything that's new and different and exciting you know can distract us if we don't have that kind of core focus and that aptitude for understanding and staying in what we know is our lane and what we do best at. So it's really about helping helping my clients see that. Um, one of the things that I find visionaries specifically struggle a lot with is communicating their vision. Um, they, okay. they oftentimes assume everybody sees what they see, right? Yeah. So, and visionaries tend to not be great at operating in managerial positions. And so a lot of times too, if they have a leadership team underneath them, they just expect them to do what they're supposed to do without a whole lot of active communication. Um, visionaries also make very quick decisions. And if they're not communicating that effectively with their team, that can cause uh, problems as we can probably imagine. Um, and there's a, a whole host of things working with both the visionary and then helping them you know, to better understand how to be a better leader for their people and also helping their people understand what it's like and kind of the expectations of what they can, you know, it's, it's not that this person is just a bad leader or challenging or whatever, it's a visionary thing. And I think once you understand that a little bit more, you know, then they can be empowered to speak up and say, hey, you know, we need this from you, or I think you might need this from us. And it just helps that communication back and forth. So that's kind of the, the areas that I focus on. Okay. Um, so I, I do have a question along those lines. So, and it was a question that was posed to me a while back, and I didn't really know how to answer it. So how do you how do visionaries push the vision further down into the organization? Well, that's, that's the biggest challenge there is (laughs) because a visionary really is the person that there's a vision holder, right? They're the one that brings like the Steve jobs that, you know, and one thing I like to say to you is after working with visionaries for so long, I just have a very different way of looking at them than maybe your stereotypical um, viewpoint of visionaries. I know people like Gina Wickman and EOS, you know, they have kind of this box format of if you fit in this box, then you're a visionary. You know, if you don't have these particular, you know, characteristic 
characteristic skills or, or characteristic traits, then you're not. I, I see visionary as more on, um, you know, kind of a spectrum than I do in a box. So okay. you can see the high, what I call the high-end visionaries, which are like the Steve Jobs, the Elon Musks. You know, these are the people who we tend to see as, you know, they're, they get into the public eye. Um, uh, Gary Vee is another one um, yeah. because they're just so high energy and high push and high drive that they, they get themselves there. But that doesn't mean that people who don't look exactly like that aren't visionary. And that's okay. what a lot of people get confused with, um, I believe. I mean, again, it's my humble opinion in working with visionaries for almost 10 years. But, you know, so we, we come in all shapes and sizes, in other words. But there are key traits that we do hold in common, and especially around how we are as leaders. I actually am a little bit hesitant to even use visionary and leader in the same sentence because visionaries aren't natural leaders. And I know that gets me in trouble a lot when I say that people are like, what? Okay. You can't say that. And I'm like, and the reason I say that is visionaries really are like to your question, they're the holders of vision. They're the ideas people. Right. And they're really, really great at bringing in ideas where they're challenged is exactly what your question was in somehow finding a way to bring that vision into a place where they can, they can have a team around them that is effectively executing, right? And when I say effectively, I don't just mean in the day-to-day -day details that it takes to execute. I mean it execute in understanding the vision and, and being able to create it exactly as the visionary holds it. And, and, and that takes two, right? The visionary has to adequately and correctly you know, communicate that vision. And that is a challenge naturally for, for visionaries. Yeah. Visionaries can be great orators and um, spokespeople for a product or service, but when it comes to actually communicating the vision, they struggle. And this is something that a lot of people don't understand. They see, you know, people like Steve Jobs, I mean, he would get up in front of groups and he was brilliant and he could do a Q&A and he could help you know, kind of put that idea out there very succinctly. But when it came to working with teams and when it came to working with people, it was more of a challenge, um, you know, internally to get those visions, you know, moving in the right direction and, and then supported and sustained and, and, you know, put in a place where they could grow. So these are the things that it's not impossible. This is that, and that's my, where my work comes in. It's not impossible for visionaries to do this, but they're not really natural. They're natural born leaders when it comes to, their ability to to cultivate ideas, okay. right, and and to and to come up with those those innovative nexts, right. But from a leadership, when we look at leadership and kind of what's expected from a, a leader, a typical leader, visionaries don't naturally hold those skill sets, right. They have a few, but especially at those high levels where we're expecting those you know leaders to make those strong decisions and visionaries can actually, especially high visionary, they really can struggle with that. Gotcha. So, you know, it's about helping bridge that gap and helping visionaries to understand, first of all, where their strengths and weaknesses are, like I said, because a lot of times when we're not even aware of kind of how we're operating, you know, that awareness keeps us from being able to move forward effectively and efficiently uh, or that lack of awareness. And so just bringing that to the table and helping everybody understand this is what you're dealing with. You know, a lot of the visionaries I talk to, you know, behind the scenes, they're like, oh, I always thought that there was something wrong with me. Or I always yeah. thought that it was strange that I operated that way. Or I've just gotten used to just, you know, ticking people off with the way that I approach things. And it just is what it is. And I say, but is that something you would like to change? Would you like to refine that? Would you like to look at that? Because you know, yes, these things exist. And yes, there's also a place for growth and improvement. Yeah. So you, 
you mentioned um, the the awareness piece, right? So what are some of the ways that we can increase our, our level of, of awareness? That's a great question. Well, a lot of times, you know, leaning into feedback, I know this is a really one that we hear a lot, you know, this whole idea of communication and feedback. And really what that is, is that, you know, how do you receive feedback neutrally, right? It, it can be very challenging depending on what that feedback is. I mean, we all love it when people, you know, give us a glowing report, right. but what happens when all of a sudden somebody has something, you know, more critical to say, you know, how are we, are, are, are we, because the thing is, is that we can keep a stiff upper lip, but really what that, unless we're really truly comfortable and able to reach that place of neutrality and receiving, people are going to pick up that there's, you know, there's something that's making us uncomfortable and they're going to be less apt to want to give us that feedback. And so it's training ourselves, you know, on understanding what feedback is, asking people, like I, I have a mastermind group. And one of the first questions I asked all of the participants is how would you like to receive feedback? right? What are critical words that would describe how you want to receive feedback? Because it's, it's absolutely crucial and essential that we do. Um, But, you know, how is that? And so, you know, people came up with different words. I would love it to be, you know, some people said loving, you know, and respectful. Other people was like direct and honest, you know, it was just, but people get to choose how they want that feedback, but we have to communicate that because not everybody is the same in that regard. So knowing how you want to receive feedback in order to allow you to best receive it so you can be in that place of as much as possible neutrality, right, um, is, is the key first to start with. But feedback in general, you know, is, is getting practiced at asking for it, you know, it's, yeah. and, and, and communicating why, you know, this relationship is important to me. My growth as a leader and as a team member is important to me, right? So for that reason, I, I really value your feedback. And I want you to be able to, to feel comfortable telling me, you know, where things are, you know, where things are coming up and, and how it's affecting you, right? Those kinds of conversations also build, you know, connection and rapport and trust right. amongst people, which is also important because that's not, that's a given that I think a lot of people um, just assume, you know, where we've been working together for a while, or I'm a trustworthy person, therefore they trust me. And mm-hmm. a lot of times if we're not having those, those conversations, you know, if I come in and I have that conversation, then I go and talk to the people, there may be a gap there between what the leader thinks they're thinking and how comfortable they really are and, and what the reality is. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So as far as that relates to, um, you know, some of the, the guidance that you give folks on, um, enhancing their culture, how does, how does that relate to being able to, you know, make the culture better? Well, again, I mean, first, it always starts with us. And that's what I remind yeah. everybody. You know, my book, Looking In, is all about that as a leader. Like, we have to look in and and, and not just look in and, and kind of contemplate our belly buttons. You know, it's, you know, having a framework of saying, you know, what are my innate value traits? What am I naturally good at? What do I, you know, what am I just, because we all have genius or brilliance. And people, you know, are, are kind of apt to not want to embrace that because we've been so sold this bill of goods of it's, you know, it's egoic to think too highly of yourself, which I always tell people, hey, you know what, if Superman didn't know he could bend, steel and fly, he wouldn't be as effective, yeah. right? So knowing what we have to give is actually really essential. Um, but how we then give it, you know, becomes the next question is, you know, okay, this is what I have to give. How do I want to deliver this? How do I want to affect people? How do I want to affect change? 
You know, do I want to be an instigator? Do I want to be more of a support team member? Like what, like how do I want to show up? You know, what is my chosen way? And then finally, where are those environments that best serve me? And what I mean by that is when we have the best environments that suit us, we do our best work, right? So if I'm in an environment where like I'm a CEO, I'm a visionary CEO, and I was brought in by a president who owns that company. If I don't have a good working rapport with that president, or if that president has kind of created this environment of expectation that, you know, for whatever reason is just not in alignment with how I operate, you know, that's probably not the best environment for me to come in and make positive change happen. And a lot of people will take it on as a challenge and they'll sacrifice their, their environmental needs you know, for support and understanding and all of that to, to, to try to kind of, you know, jump that hurdle to prove to themselves yeah. that they can do so. I mean, that. I don't recommend that. Okay. It's not to say we don't take on challenges, but if we are like, it's like if a fish is like, well, let me see if I can live off land, you know, or on land and out of water, it's, they're not going to exist for very long, right? So there are those key important things that we do need to honor and knowing first and foremost what they are is, is really important. So, you know, going back to your question, it's really about developing an understanding of who we are as leaders, yeah. who we yeah. are in our position from our perspective and really diving in and building some awareness and getting honest with ourselves about that because again if we can't get honest with ourselves it's gonna be hard to be honest with anybody else oh absolutely um so that's really where you know as as far as as is being able to to bring things forward and 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 be you know the type of of individuals right especially as leaders you know it, it's it's about getting very real with oneself and a lot of that is very hard because our most inherent traits our most innate values are usually our blind spots wow okay okay so I guess is the feedback portion the way to, to identify those blind spots? Yeah, well, it's, it's, it definitely helps. It's, okay. it's a great start. I mean, there's, there's multiple things that we can do, you know, to, to start to build that awareness. But that's a, a great way because, again, I see others as mirrors to us. So when we look out in the world, you know, so many people look out in the world and they, they make it about the world, right? So they identify themselves based on what the world wants from them, what they've been conditioned to think about themselves, you know, all of the rights and wrongs, depending on their culture, religion, you know, you name it. And that's how they identify from looking at the outside world and learning from the outside who they are meant to be. Mm -hmm. I actually believe we came here to be who we were born to be. And that, that we put that, we, we hopefully, you know, uh, very intentionally hone that and decide how we want to you know, insert ourselves into the world. That's usually not what we're taught. And so, you know, kind of being able to see it in terms of the world is not here to tell me who to be and how to be. It's here to reflect back how I'm being and who I'm being, yeah. right? So if you meet up with a person, like I always, I always tell people, this is a great kind of exercise, is when you meet up with somebody and you really, really, really like them, Right? And there's no apparent, I mean, you don't know them from any, you just met them, but there's something about them you're just really drawn to. It's because there's, there's inherent traits within them that exist in you. And they're mirroring that back. And you like those things. Well, the same thing is true if you meet people you really don't like, or there's somebody who's just rubbing you the wrong way. It's because they're showing something in them that is, is resonating in you that you don't like. And so it's a great opportunity then to say, okay, that person did this to me, where am I doing that to myself? Or where am I doing that to other people in my life? Okay. And how is this mirroring back to me something I get to be aware of in me and work on? Yeah. 
right? So it's about using, and again, feedback can be a direct way to get that mirror. If we're having a hard time interpreting what people are showing us, you know, we can just ask and hopefully people will be honest with that. Um, but language doesn't lie. And that's why I use it as a vehicle. You know, my, my natural brilliance is in language, um, kind of, I guess, translation where I listen to my client's language and through it, I can tell where their zone of brilliance is and what's holding them back based on belief systems and various things that I hear in patterns in their language, right? So I use language. And, and like I said, it doesn't lie. Even if people are telling a lie, so to speak, what they're saying and how they're saying it is going to show the truth. I just read behind or between the lines. And so if you don't necessarily have that capacity yourself to do that, you still can use your gut instincts. We still can use, you know, other spidey senses that we all have as human beings, but it's really about, first of all, being intentional to say, okay, I want to learn. I want to, I, I really want to know what's going on. I want to know how I'm affecting people. And I also want to be able to, you know, communicate and develop those, those, you know, connections with people in a, in a real and authentic way. It isn't just about saying I'm empathetic. And so then I get to show up as a good leader. It's about really refining those things within me so that I can be empathetic. I can be that person. I can embody those traits, uh, not just thinking them, but really being them. Um, and how do we do that? Well, it's incremental. You know, we start by yeah. becoming more aware of who we are and how we are. Okay. I love that. So I want to switch gears just for a second and talk a little bit about, um, about your book. So what, what inspired you to, to, to write it and to, to put it out? Well, actually, you know, it's kind of a funny story. There was a gentleman who was working for a company that puts authors and publishers together and their job is to kind of go out there and either find people who are current authors and invite them, you know, to, you know, to have a relationship with them or people who put out blogs or articles on a regular basis haven't been published yet. And they, they ask them, you know, have you ever thought about being an author? Would you like to write a book? And so it, they help them with the process of being able to, you know, more, you know, successfully get in front of publishers who are looking. And so this gentleman had been watching, I guess, watching me on LinkedIn or reading my, my um, monthly articles. And he said, you know, I really feel like you have a different take on leadership. And based on what we've been finding readers want and that they can't find, you're a good fit for that. You know, wow. we, we really believe what you have to say would be a good fit for what readers want to hear. Yeah. And so he kind of, I mean, I, I always joke about he talked me into it, but I mean, I've been I've thought about it and have been told many times I should write books. Um, so it really was that perfect time because it was right as I engaged with them was about the time we went into quarantine. Okay. And so I had this time to really, you know, lean into that, that process of writing a book. And when, you know, you're a first time author, it doesn't matter if you write on a regular basis, writing a book is a very different thing. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's how I got started. That's really, you know, what, what got me because I, I, I felt that, okay, I'm being told that it's something people are looking for. I don't want to just write something, just to have a book to say, I wrote a book. I really want it to have value. And if I know that that's something that, you know, um, the people who know are telling me is valuable, I'm more apt to do that. So that's what got me started. Okay. So what, um, what type of benefits can people get from, from reading your book? Well, my book was written the way I like to read. Okay. So all of my, I joke with clients and friends that my favorite books are less than 200 pages and I can read them in a weekend. 
And also that there is a certain degree of not just thought provocation, but exercises, you know, things I can do and apply, right? It needs to be applicable. And so what I did is I really designed looking in not only around the concepts that I, you know, there's a variety of concepts. I tend to look out in the world and I'll read things on LinkedIn or I'll read things, you know, in articles or books. And I'm like, I don't see it that way. I actually see it. I have, I tend to have a very different perspective, not to say I'm the only one with it, but very different perspective than the, the status quo. And so there were some certain key things that were showing up in leadership that I just saw. I was like, you know, I actually have a totally different take on that. So I presented that in the book. Um, you know, imposter syndrome is one of them. I have a yeah. very different take on imposter syndrome. I actually think it's a very positive thing. And so people hear that. They're like, what? And like, read about it in the book. I wrote yeah. all about it. <laughs> right. um, so I, I, I wanted to kind of uh, address those key things. And then I also wanted to bring forward my process for what I call the what, how, and where, right? Helping my, when I, the first thing I do with clients is I help them establish what I was talking about, which is the lane, right? Yeah. What is your lane? Because again, it's like on the highway, if I didn't know which, if, if I, you know, didn't have any lines that constituted, you know, what my lane was, I wouldn't know where to drive. Mm -hmm. And so really that idea, I use that analogy for life that once you know your lane, it's a lot easier to measure what's in integrity with what you're here for and what isn't. Right. So everything from boundaries to what you do for a living to who you surround yourself with, you know, everything can be better determined once you understand, you know, where you're most genius, you know, what supports you best, you know, and and how you want to show up. Right. If if you're living in a small town and some of the things that you want to be accessible to are in a city, you know, you're it's it's going to be a lot harder for you to make that impact that maybe you want to make. I mean, yeah. yes, we're virtual now, but you know, hopefully as we get back out more and more into the world. So it's really about understanding because a lot of people say, oh, things are just not happening for me that I want. But I'm like, well, where are you making choices and decisions to bring those things about? Yeah. Right. And so it really helps that. So I have a process and that's what I talk about in the book. So all of it less than 200 pages. Um, you know, in a very different format, I wrote as a play, uh, the book is set up in, in acts instead of chapters. So yeah. there's a lot of fun, you know, engaging things about the book, but people can read it pretty, pretty quickly, but it does offer a, a lot of, you know, hopefully very helpful leadership, um, considerations. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, so you've, you've got the coaching, you've got the book, you do speaking. So what, what else is it? that uh, that we need to know about about your program and about you? Well, yes. Yeah, so I'm going to be working on um, very soon, probably not this year, but I'm kind of starting to get my notes together. Um, I am starting a second book. It's going to be about being vis visionary. Um, so that'll probably be, you know, the 23, 24 um, years that people can see that rolling out. Um, but I also have a visionary mastermind group. So I'm really, like I said, I'm, I'm dedicated and very passionate about helping visionaries succeed because I do think they're one of our greatest resources. I mean, these are people who just naturally have all of the brilliant, you know, ideas about where we should go and what we should be doing next. Yeah. So they're bridging the gaps within industries and markets all the time. And so really helping them to do that most effectively and efficiently. So not only they succeed, but also their people succeed. Because like I said, what I tend to see, especially in companies, I'm working more and more doing some trainings to help visionary leaders meet their people. Because again, they're doing one thing up here and the people are trying to bridge the gap down here, those executors. And, or you have the visionary leaving their lane, trying to execute everything below them. 
which, you know, is that's like the helicopter visionary or the helicopter leader, you know, where, where they're constantly trying to, you know, do or redo what other people who they've hired, you know, are trying to accomplish. Either way, it's not a, it's not a sustainable or effective model. So really helping people understand, you know, what their lane of brilliance is so they can stay in it, communicate, you know, those things to one another and that you can have a, a culture that's really built on empowerment around knowing what your value is and what everybody else's value is as well. Yeah. So that's something else that, you know, working on the new book, having a visionary mastermind, which my next one will start at the beginning of next year. So any visionary leaders who are interested in being with like-minded, um, you know, leaders like themselves who are really looking to up-level as visionaries, um, that's an opportunity that people can look into and they can reach out anytime between now and January when that next cohort begins. Okay. Um, but those are some of the things in, in the trainings that I'm doing in some of the cor corporate environments or things that I'm developing more of. Gotcha. Yeah. So um, one, one more question. Well, two more questions. Um, so what's a, a belief or a thought that you had when you first got started and you've since changed your mind or got new information that kind of changed your perspective? Oh, that is such a good question. You know, honestly, I mean, thinking about that, that I know with myself, one of the condition things that, you know, we come out into the world and we're kind of taught that you need to follow the leader to get to where you want to go, right? You need to do this in order to be that, mm -hmm. right? Do this program and you can be a master's in whatever, change management. Um, and, and I think a lot of people kind of short sight their true genius by thinking that they have to jump through the hoops they've been told they have to jump through in order to have the permission to do something. So one of the, the things that, you know, I used to think is like, okay, well, I need to get my degree to do that. You know, like if I want to do that, I, I have to get a degree. And, and I'm not saying like, again, if I wanted to be a surgeon, I would have to go through a program because I don't want somebody to perform surgery just because they say, oh, I'm a natural genius at cutting people open. I would like to know that they've actually gone to school, you know, for quite number of years, you know, to learn how to do that. But uh, what I see is a lot of people who have a natural idea or inclination towards something, even though they may not have any experience in that market or that space. I mean, I had somebody reach out to me kind of recently and say, you know, with all due respect, you know, you, you, you say you're an executive coach, but I don't see any executive experience. And when I came back to him and said, you know, if that's what you're looking for, if you're looking for somebody who is kind of a mentor because they've done it, that is a totally different thing than what I do. I actually come in with a fresh perspective. I'm here to work with, I understand how visionaries tick and I'm helping them to become more effective and efficient and successful. So again, it depends on what I'm trying to accomplish and what you're trying to accomplish. But a lot of people think they have no right to give themselves a title if they haven't gone through coaching school for it or haven't gone and gotten their master's in it or their doctor in it and all that. And that was, a, that was a belief I actually held, you know, you know, early on in, in my first career, you know, well, you have to, you know, you can only do this if you've gone to school for these things. And I've since come to, to through experience, recognize that is not always the case. In fact, oftentimes we have natural inclinations that make us better at certain things that we may not have never gone to school for. Yeah. It's just, that's what we inherently know how to do best. And so I think really challenging that model, like I said, there's a time and a place. I'm not saying that that's not helpful, but I also know that, you know, there th there's things I can do that people have gone to school for and they just can't do it as well because it's a natural 
point of genius that I hold. And that's true of other people as well. I've gone to school to learn how to do things and, you know, had maybe more years in school over those, but other people who naturally have the inclination are better than I am and always will be. Yeah. So I think it's about acknowledging those things. And that's why I, I always say innate brilliance comes first, acquired skill sets come second, right? Learned and earned the things we've learned through our our experiences and going through school and that kind of thing, I believe are here to support our natural brilliance. And yet that's not what we've really been conditioned to believe. So it's a lot of kind of looking at things a little bit differently. Um, but I would definitely say that's probably one of the top. Okay. Yeah. And, and um, along those lines, so what, what type of um, encouragement or advice would you give somebody who's trying to step in a, to a certain lane and they haven't actually done the thing before. Yeah, I would say, you know, what is, you know, your why is really important. You know, what is calling you? Because that's what I hear from a lot of people. They're like, you know, I'm being called to this environment. I'm being called to speak or to write or to get involved with this nonprofit organization or whatever it happens to be but I don't have any experience there. And I don't feel like I, I don't have the credentials or I don't, you know, whatever they feel they don't have, you know, to let them in the door. And when I say, well, what do you have? Because we can focus a lot on what we don't have, but what do you have? You, okay, you have a calling, you have a passion, what else? You know, and so we start to really focus on, you know, again, what we do have, what is making, you know, that fire in your belly, you know, make you want to go in that direction. Let's start to extract some of some more of the kind of more, you know, refined and tactile reasons yeah. for why you're being drawn in that direction. Because those, when we can develop our why big enough, we can overcome all sorts of belief systems about, you know, whether we have a degree in it and whether we have experience, you know, but it's a matter of taking time to do that because otherwise our conditioning is going to lead and we're going to be constantly questioning ourselves, even though there's something innately you know, within us, that's, that's telling us that that's where we're supposed to go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so before we close, um, how can our listeners find you and find your book and acquire your coaching services? How can we, how can we stay in touch? Well, I appreciate you asking that. Um, the best way to find me, if you're just looking at, you know, kind of looking for what I'm doing and, you know, what I'm putting out there, um, I can be found on LinkedIn under Tracy Phillips. Um, I'm very active there. I post a lot there and engage a lot. Um, and I and I love to, you know, have people reach out. Also, my um, my website, uh, the theinnatecoach.com. Um, you know, you can check out my services. You can see, you know, what my speaking offerings are. Um, and just also read my blogs and that kind of thing. It's a great, it's a great place to, um, and I also have a freebie. So anybody who is watching this, you know, go to my website and in the top right corner, you can see a freebie button. If you happen to be a visionary, it's all about being a, a more masterful visionary leader. Um, so that's my, my giveaway to you, but, um, there's all sorts of different things you can engage in there. That's probably the best way. And then my book can be found, um, on, uh, Amazon and also Barnes and Noble online. Okay. All right. So to the listeners, check out Tracy at theinnatecoach.com. Check out her book on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Um, and also connect on LinkedIn as well. Yeah, I'm a, a um, loyal follower of Tracy. She is very active on LinkedIn and always providing some great information and adding value. So that's, um, you know, one of the things that's super awesome about being connected 
and and knowing you, Tracy. Um, but also to the listeners, hey, um, don't forget about the fee. We don't charge or run ads on this episode or on this podcast, but there is a fee. And if you got something of value, please share the show with at least one person. That's the fee. That's all we ask. We're trying to continue to grow, continue to grow organically, and just trying to be more awesome than we were yesterday. So thank you for your time. Thanks for your help. And to the listeners, we will catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in.